By the way, my, my name is Matt Blazer, and I'm the pastor here. Some of you knew that, but others of you I have not yet gotten to meet. We're starting a series on Hebrews. Um, last year, I preached through the book of Revelation, which was really challenging and fun for me, and I hope enjoyable for those of you that were here. This year, we're continuing that series by looking at the book of Hebrews, and by that series, I mean the great letters, because one of the ways that we describe the work of Jesus Christ is as a prophet, the truth speaker to the world, and also as priest, the one who atones for us for good, and king, the one who is actually over all things. I think the strongest representations of each of those offices are Revelation, king, Romans, prophet, and Hebrews, priest. So next fall we'll approach Romans. If you have your Bible, I'm looking at the letter of the Hebrews, which starts very differently than a New Testament letter, if you're familiar with it. I'll explain why in a minute, and I'm just going to read verse 4 today. We will go through all the verses. They won't all be read at the beginning of the service, but we will look at every verse of Hebrews this fall, by God's grace, and if I don't change my mind. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. It's an old story, long ago and at many times, and in many ways God spoke to our fathers, kind of reminds me a little bit of Star Wars, you know, the beginning with the words stretching over. Most people believe that the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, by the way. I'll tell you my guess if you want to know, but it actually doesn't matter. Um, Hebrews is one of the earliest New Testament letters that we have. It was passed around with regularity, and people understood its importance as early as maybe 50 A.D., but verified in secondary sources by 80 and 90 A.D. People knew the importance of this letter. And the assumption is that he, the writer is writing to uh, Jewish followers of Jesus, and so he's referencing in this way the Old Testament He's referencing the really broken but heroic men and women of the Old Testament. There are heroes and villains. There are kings who are idolaters and widows who saved the country in multiple times. There are good kings and bad ones. There were prophets who limp up to the people of God again and say, worship of him and not of idols, caring for the poor and remembering the morality of God over and over and over again. And those are not just the writers towards the end of your Old Testament. That's also Elijah, and Abraham, Deborah, Esther, Isaiah. I believe this writer is including all of the faith people of the Old Testament. Most of them, we know a lot about their blind spots and sinful tendencies, though a few almost entirely heroic. Hebrews is a sermonic letter. And I say that not to, you know... Well, I don't know how it sounds, frankly. I do listen to my sermons because everybody else has to that goes to church here. Um, but I say that because the letter 
functions differently than, say, the letter to the Philippians. Most of the other letters in the New Testament will start off with something like grace and peace. And the writer of Hebrews believes in grace and in peace, but I think was a really gifted speaker. And so a really gifted speaker who also writes books is going to write those books a little bit like they talk. And so Hebrews is going to roll over the same topics over and over and over. It quotes the Old Testament by far more than any other letter in the New Testament, which made it very challenging in seminary where you have to recognize every reference in the Old Testament in the New. Did I say that right? Yes. Man, the quizzes on Hebrews were a bear. Am I right, Brian? Yeah. Hebrews is a sermonic letter. So at times when the writer quotes the Old Testament, he's going to say, somewhere it says, and that's not because he doesn't know where it is in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint. It's because he's expecting the listeners to also know and to receive that information in a stylized way. So when he says long ago at many times in many ways, he's not saying, I mean, sometime in the past. He's referencing something that he expects to be a known quantity. Particularly here, he's referencing Psalm 2 and a little bit Psalm 8, more so next week, and Psalm uh, 110. I wrote down 102. I think it's 110. And as we go through Hebrews, I hope that we are aware that this is God speaking to us. This is how Christians receive the Word of God. They believe His speech is the most powerful thing in the universe, referenced here, spoke, spoken to us by his son. And he references creation, which happens through the speech of God. The way we have built our worship service is that God summons us to corporate worship. That's our call to worship. He sanctifies us, cleanses us through confession. And as his Holy Spirit does its work as we worship, he strengthens us most specifically through the sacrament that we receive once a month. He speaks to us. That's his word. And then he sends us back out into his world. Our hearts at peace, our agency known in some measure. This old story spoke. It is hard to overstate the importance of the speech of God. And here the writer of Hebrews is both referring to Genesis 1 and all of the Old Testament and the way that God spoke through the prophets and saying that he spoke conclusively through Jesus. This is why we open the word every time we get together. This is why I encourage you to study the Bible on your own and in community. It's why I encourage you to converse with other people about it. You have unique questions about it and through friendship and humility, those questions can be answered and our faith be strengthened. It's hard to overstate the importance of the Word of God spoken and written down. And it began through the Son. He says here, by His Son. He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Jesus' roles, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but it is a powerful and profound list. Jesus is the prophet. When When he chose to speak, he spoke truth. It was immediately reliable and can be relied upon until he returns when we will no longer need his words. He's also a king 
one who has been anointed but has not yet taken up his crown on this earth. But more specifically to Hebrews, he is our priest. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Both a reference to his priestly role, making purifications for us. If you call him Lord, your sins are forgiven and atoned for. And that is finished work. Literally the last word he said on the cross, it is finished. It is completed. The debt is paid. He made purification for us. And yet the writer in just these four verses tells us that the creation was Jesus. And this is where, as Christians, we enter as best we can with our mind and with our emotions and our very being into the mystery of the Trinity. If you've read Genesis 1, it doesn't mention Jesus by name, though there are some some plural references to him. And so the writer of Hebrews comes in to tell us that the beautiful, poetic, prose-spoken, explosion of creation was Jesus. I'm a very big fan of a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I'm going to utilize her words to describe the creation. If you're familiar with the story from Genesis 1 and 2, I hope that you enjoy her stylized account of it, and that the writer of Hebrews is teaching us that this was Jesus, the Ruach, of God hovering over the deep was Jesus. In the beginning was the word. Or sorry, I was quoting John. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that was Jesus. In the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing to hear, nothing to feel, nothing to see. Only emptiness and darkness and nothing but nothing, but God was there. And God had a wonderful plan. I'll take this emptiness, God said, and I'll fill it up. Out of the darkness, I'm going to make light, and out of the nothing, I'm going to make everything. Like a mommy bird flutters her wings over her eggs to help her babies hatch, God hovered over the deep, silent darkness. He was making life happen. God spoke, that's all, and whatever he said, it happened. God said, hello, light, and light shone into the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. You're good, God said, and they were. Then God said, hello sea, hello sky, and a great space opened up, wide and deep and high. You're good, God said, and they were. Then God said, hello land, and there splashing up through the oceans came cliffs, mountains, sandy beaches. You're good, God said, and they were. Hello trees, God said, hello grass and flowers, and everything everywhere burst into life. He made buds bud, shoots shoot, flowers flower. You're good, God said, and they were. Hello, stars, God said. Hello, sun. Hello, moon. And whizzing into the darkness came fiery globes, spinning around and around, whirling orange and purple and golden planets. You're good, God said, and they were. Hello, birds, God said, and with a fluttering and flapping and chirping and singing, birds filled the skies. Hello, fish, God said, and with a darting and dashing and wriggling and splashing, fish filled the seas. You're good, God said, and they were. Then God said, hello, animals, and everyone came out to play. The earth was filled with noisy noises, growling and gobbling and snapping and snorting and happy skerfuffling. You're good, God said, and they were. God saw all that he had made, and he loved them, and they were lovely because he loved them. God saved the best for last, 
From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children, and the world would be their perfect home. One of the reasons I like her uh, re-riot, re-description of Genesis 1 is she captures the, um, the noun and verb linkage of Genesis 1 and 2. So flying things fly in Hebrew. Swimming things begin swimming at the speech of God. And we read Genesis 1 and 2 and perhaps note the beauty of it. And then we learn from Hebrews that that was Jesus who is not only involved in creation but radiant. Jesus is beautiful as God. Beautiful in both an aesthetic and in a technical sense. As a human who is holy and pure, as God who's holy and pure, timeless, and entirely, perfectly loving. He's the personification of wisdom, getting that from the exact imprint of his nature and the references that is making to all sorts of literature in the Old Testament and in some intertestamental, intertestamental literature. Jesus is the heir of all things. That's an allusion to his kingly role, the one that he has not finished bringing to earth. But his priestly role and his prophetic role are completed. We haven't completed receiving the prophetic one, but we have received the priestly one. What do you think of when you hear the word radiant? Heat? Light, sustaining power. By it, we see other things. On a really, really, really full moon, it's surprising that we can see more, but not even a shred as much as we can see with the radiance of the sun. Jesus is all of these things infinitesimally more powerful. Warmth. Sustaining of life, beautiful in and of himself, worthy of worship, very uh, dark but enjoyable movie to me about 10 years ago. It was called Sunshine. It was about a team of astronauts that had to go help the sun become bright again. It had, something had happened to it. And the closer they get, the more all of them are tempted to worship the sun because of its radiance. How much more radiant is Jesus? Jesus' own, this is a, some kind of fiery sunstorm that Nathan will get really upset if I continue to try to explain to you because I'm not an astrophysicist. Jesus himself encouraged us to worship with our minds because he's radiant. He encouraged us to worship with our will our choices and actions, our very being, to worship with our emotions. Very, very basic question is, how are you going to worship this week? And as I say that, I wonder how much of your, your grief comes in and challenges you. Sometimes our picture of worship is so overly joyful, we can't imagine worshiping while we're also grieving the collective losses of COVID 
and your acute losses in your life. And yet worship is a move we make regularly because of God's existence, because Jesus is radiant. And that doesn't set aside our grief. That's actually part of how we worship. I wonder when it's in your calendar this week to stop and to love God with your mind and with your emotions and with your will. For some of you, one of those is easier than the other, or actually for all of you, I think. For me, the most challenging one is the mind, which means it's the one I need to grow in the most. It doesn't mean my intellect isn't part of my faith, but if I put into my calendar to worship God this week, it's relatively easy for me for that to be an emotional thing. But I know I need this one also because Jesus said mind, heart, and soul, and strength. If Jesus is indeed radiant, as the writer of Hebrews describes and as the New Testament verifies, and as history would actually attest to, then we worship not only on Sunday mornings, on Sunday afternoons and throughout the week. Jesus is not only radiant, he is all-powerful. Having become as much, uh, after making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. There's a heresy going on amongst Christians at the time. It's similar to the one in the book of Colossians. We'll talk more about it next week, but that's why the writer is comparing Jesus to angels. We'll cover it next week. But in beginning to talk about that, the writer locates Jesus. And this is something that we talked about in 1 Peter. This comes up in Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus mentions it with God in teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And it's another way of helping us understand and be gripped by the uh, roles of Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus and why? Jesus is sitting with God because he is God. He has accomplished purification, and he's sitting with God because he has not yet come down and made the earth new. He's sitting in his priestly role and in his prophetic role, and we're waiting, somewhat anxiously, for him to take up his crown and heal the world. Hebrews will allude to his prophetic role a little bit, and allude to his kingly role a little bit, and describe expansively and beautifully and lovingly his priestly role. He has been anointed king. He has not yet returned. If that's all true, that Jesus has made purification for us once and for all, then the most powerful and profound moment in all of human history is his death and resurrection. That's when your purification happened. And that's not all that it says, though. It says he, and I'm backing up a little bit, it also says he upholds the universe. As I've been preaching, we're talking about the oldness of the story and that Jesus was an incredibly significant part of creation, in fact, created the world, and that he's radiant and that he's all-powerful. And yet when Jesus talked about looking at him, he encouraged us to look at flowers and at birds because his, his incredible power reaches not only to the stars and to our sun, to this earth, but to the beautiful small details of this world, which is still broken, or excuse me, is still beautiful, though awaiting 
recreation by its king. In addition to the galaxies and the solar systems and the worlds, God sees flowers and uses them to remind us of his care for us and birds. I don't know if you can read that. This is from an astrophysicist that I, I was kind of into astrophysics this week, bear with me, who I follow on Twitter, and she wrote, how about some Io today? That's a moon of Jupiter, right, Nathan? Jupiter, yeah. Sure, the Galilean moon may look, like a, may look like a moldy orange, but its volcanic landscape is a wonder to behold. It currently has over 400 active volcanoes and is therefore the most geologically active body in the solar system. This activity is due to its close proximity to Jupiter and the three other Galilean moons which play a gravitational tug of war with Io that heats up its core. Plumes of sulfur and sulfur dioxide can reach up as high as 300 miles above the surface. You can see a large volcanic plume in the gift below. The reason that I put that into the slideshow is not only because I think Sarah Salviander is a fascinating Christian to listen to on Twitter, more importantly, because Jesus is not only radiant, Jesus not only created the sun, the sun continues to spin, the volcanoes on Ion continue to explode, our earth continues to sustain life, galaxies continue to spin, and the universe, and all the things we're continuing to learn about it, because of his power. Therein is both the beauty and the challenge for us, intellectually and by faith of the Christian life. That this carpenter not only created but upholds the universe and it would fail without his power. And that he loves and likes us and calls us his own. I mean, these things are mere pages from one another in the New Testament. Jesus is teaching on looking at the flowers and remembering that we have a good father in heaven. The writer of Hebrews teaching us that that was Jesus at creation in Genesis 1 and 2 and that the earth and the moons and of Jupiter and everything else continue to spin because of his power. And that same power is what calls us to him to call him Lord and thereby be led into lives of life and peace with him that we will receive in this life and in the next and in the one after that and the joy of following him and the removal of the deepest loneliness of the human condition which is separation from God which is no longer true because of union with Christ I hope that sounds like good news to you, because it is. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise and thank you for speaking to us in so many ways and for so many thousands of years through your many prophets and times. And we praise you for speaking most clearly through your Son, We praise you that he is heir of all things and through whom also the world was created. We praise you that he is radiant and ask that you help us, Holy Spirit, to worship that radiance, not only this morning, but this week. We praise you for the purification of sins and for the superiority and majesty of you and your will and your ways. For those of us that are considering the good news 
Would you draw near and answer our questions through prayer or conversation? For those of us that are followers of you, would you help us to trust you more profoundly? Amen.